So basically today I'm looking at Philippians 2, uh, verse 1 to 11. And following, following up the prayer of Paul about what consists a worthy life to the glory of God, here comes a chapter, the chapter 2, which is really a call for unity, for humility, and an invitation to imitate Christ's mindset, which is a mindset of servanthood and humility. And I found this uh, chapter such an incredible chapter really an important and a key passage in the bible and i believe actually that if the church and if the body of christ is not always functioning well today and if we have seen limited advancement of the gospel that's because we have we are not completely living this passage very well. So taking this passage seriously, I believe will change our lives and will change the life of the church forever. So let's look at the uh, first part of this chapter. I'm trying to change my slide, here we go. So let me read the first part. Uh, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships, with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Wow, this is such an important passage there. This is what Paul is saying here. Um, there is actually free massive motivation to pursue unity because of what the gospel has achieved for us. We pursue unity first because of the encouragement that we found in unity with Christ. Christ is our source of life. So we are aware that, we, that salvation comes from Christ, that we are adopted, that we're son of God, and we are citizen of heaven. But we all have this in common, that we are all in communion with Christ. We have the same source of life. That's why we can go after unity. We have the same source of life. We pursue unity for a second reason, because of the comfort that we have found in his love. This is all about grace. He loved us first. He loves us unconditionally, despite of our weakness, despite of our sins is incredibly patient with us. So because he loves us, we, we love him back and we are also gracious and we love each other. We don't try or we don't go trying to find specks in each other's one um, eyes, but we forgive each other. And actually in the New Testament, love is the greatest command, commandment, sorry, the love is the is the greatest and the only commitment that we can actually find in the New Testament is to love our God and love our neighbors like ourselves. So this is the second reason why we pursue unity because we find comfort in his love. Now the third reason why we pursue unity 
It's because of the Holy Spirit in us, the sharing of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is empowering us. It's the Holy Spirit who's making it possible to be one. But the Holy Spirit is also working in us and is with us all together as together we are forming the temple of the Holy Spirit, an habitation of the Holy Spirit. So we kind of sharing the Holy Spirit and we need each other in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We could do a whole preaching just on that, the gift of the Holy Spirit and how we complete each other. But these three big things, um, you know, the unity with Christ, the comfort in his love and the sharing of the Spirit is what should really fundamentally motivate us to pursue unity with each other. Now, there's other reason there. Paul says as well, well, and as well, even our tenderness and our affection with each other. So by all means, with our human feelings, we know we are fellow brothers and sisters. That should help us to achieve unity. And Paul insists and he leans in a bit more by saying, come on, make my joy complete. Nothing would make me more happy than to see you together in purpose and to see the advancement of the gospel in your area. This is a very interesting fact indeed, that Paul would equate unity to the advancement of the gospel. So as a father, he urges them to be one, but there is a purpose in that, is the advancement of the gospel. So let me talk first a little bit more about unity. I'm going to look at the green bubble. So you see, unity is the very essence of Christian life. Here is this call to be like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose. We are not called to clone, clone each other. Uh, we know actually that Jesus loves the fact that we are very different. Uh, we are different in gifts. We are different in talents and personality. We are different in cultures, but we are called to be together. We are called um, of togetherness in values. That means that whatever we believe, that our thoughts, our mind, our purpose, our mission, who we worship, all of that, we need to be one in this, pursue this together. And as well, we're called to be one in our hearts. That means love God and love each other, connect with our hearts, our whole mind and hearts. We can read this in John 17, verse 20. Jesus prayed that we, the Christian, would be one as he is one with his father. And like God himself wants to dwell in us, with us, he remains in us as we remain in him. There is this call that together we will remain in him and he remains in us. This call for unity is the essence of Christian life. Now, unity is essential because at the core of everything, God himself is love and God himself is free in one. God is so incredible, we cannot comprehend him. But let's say if we could boil down God to one component, one characteristic, at the end of the process of distillation, we will be left with one component, love. God is love. This is why in John 13, verse 35, it's, it says, Jesus commands us, love 
one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can you see how love and unity is what brings the advancement of the gospel? That us being one, us displaying the love of God is what reveal God to others because God is love. That's who he is. So we are called to be one and display love, display the glorious love of God. In doing unity, we are called to humility, to pursue humility. So which bring me now in the orange bubble. You see, to pursue unity is to pursue humility. Humility is the other side of the coin. Coin, sorry, my pronunciation. So unity is the other side of the coin. You've got unity and you've got humility on the other side. Without humility, you cannot have unity among us. And without being united with God, you cannot pursue humility. So we will only be able to be one if there's a supernatural action of God in our heart provoking us into love and servanthood. It is a deep connection and a relationship with God that will teach us to love deeply and put others first. So let's have a little look at what is humility. Humility, you see, is not thinking that you are weak or unable. Humility is not self-devaluation and self-deprecation, thinking that you are not as good of others or that you're not good, that you can't be useful. Humility is not false modesty. It's not pretending that you think lower of yourself, but in, inside, you know, look after number one and think that you know best. Unity, humility is not that. Gordon Fee says, Humility has to do with a proper estimation of oneself, the stance of the creator before the creator, utterly dependent and trusting. That's what humility is about. And C.S. Lewis famously said as well, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So if we were putting this together, I think a definition of humility would be that true humility is service to others, service to a cause greater than your own personal ambition. It is being able to place others' interest before your own interest, being utterly dependent and trusting in God for all things. This is why Paul tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain consent. Well, there is a strong word here. I have to think about that for days. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain consent. That means really don't pursue your own personal little goals or project, things that God has not asked you to do, or things that are empty from the glory of God. You see, if you're doing things that God has not asked you to do, that is not to his glory. That is not um, a goal in which God will manifest his glory. So this is how 
Jesus' mission is derailed in one sense. Honestly, this is where the rubber hits the road. And I'm speaking to myself first. Am I dead or not? Are my selfish desire, are they dead or not? You know, my selfish wants or desire, are they preventing me from seeing eternal glory, inheriting eternal glory? Am I, am I following my own agenda or am I following Jesus' agenda? This is really tough things here. And I, I was reminded uh, of my life a little bit thinking about those things. And one of the most defining moments of my spiritual life was when I was in my early 20s. I had this huge revelation that Jesus was not just my savior, but he was my Lord, that he was worth, he was worthy of giving everything up. So I decided at that point that I will put him first in everything that all my decision in life will be about him. How long I will study, who I will marry, where I would live, how I would use my time, how I would use my finance. I will do all these things with him in mind. And at that point, God was already speaking to me about worship, the importance of his presence. And therefore, all my legitimate want and desire and things I needed in my life needed to line up with the call it had put on my life. And honestly, it's not been always easy. It involved a lot of cost. And for me, um, it meant moving countries. Uh, for me, it meant uh, sometimes doing jobs that was that were frankly well below my, my qualification and trust God for provision and things like that. But it was worth it and it has been worth it. You see, I think it's about putting first things first. We all have personal dreams and they are not wrong in itself. We all want success, some great relationship. We want a better house sometimes. We want good education for our kids. All of these things are good and God wants to bless us in it. But how do we go about those things? Are we putting him first? Are we putting him his mission at the center of it all. Are we able to serve others in the midst of that before all our own interests? Are we depending on him? Are we trusting him with the pursuit of those dreams? So those dreams would be to the glory of God, that they wouldn't be selfish ambition or empty or vain conceit. They would be about his glory that maybe we will go after the goal of having a better house, but we will bless others with our house and exert hospitality with our house. That maybe, yes, we will um, pursue a great education for our kids, but we will raise them up elsewhere that they would have great jobs serving others and serving the community, the community, not just their own interest or materialistic things. You see, Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Six, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of those things will be given to you as well. So Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain consent, but values 
others above yourself be able to look at the interests of others be like jesus in your relationship with one another you see one another is one of paul's favorite expression this one another expression is used one of the times in the new testament only 30 percent of the time it refers about unity and another 30 percent of the time this expression one another is about love and 50 percent of the time it's about humility it breaks my heart to see how many Christians nowadays miss the Christian life because it's not just about getting right with God and getting blessed. It is to walk together as a community for God's glory and the kingdom to expand. It's why unity amongst us matter. We love each other and humility it, it is helping us to love each other and not think of our own interest. Only when we go, about, we go after those things that we will see the gospel of Jesus Christ extended, a community who loves each other so much that focus so much on extending the kingdom that people will see the love of God. They see the love of God that transpired within us. And that requires personal sacrifice. And this is the second part. We are invited to have the same mindset that Jesus, to imitate Jesus. So what does that mean? The second part says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not conceive equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being made found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god of the father see this is our Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, divine in nature, omnipotent. That means, you know, he's all powerful, omniscient, that he is all knowing, omnibeneful, that is supremely good, creator of all things. He did not use this. He did not use his equity with God. That means the fact that he was God to his own advantage. Think about it. He could have escaped the cross. He could have avoided the desert. He could have literally um, have an easy life. He could have avoided hardship as he was walking earth, but he didn't do anything of that. He, he made himself nothing. Other, other um, translations say he emptied himself to take the nature of a servant. That means that although Jesus is fully, fully God, he chose to not use his powerful nature as he was walking on earth. He lived there as a mere man in the body with limitation. That means he was thirsty. That means he had craving. That means he suffered all the things we are suffering. You know, so he relates to us. But he lived the earth in full relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He humbled himself. He is the definition of humility. He had everything, but he humbled himself. He's not here serving his own interest, 
but he's thinking about the will of his father. The love he has for us, the love for the human race. He has a mission. He comes and he comes and reconciles the human race to the wonderful father. So he humbles himself to, to become obedient to death. Knowingly, voluntarily, Jesus becomes the sheep led to the slaughterhouse. This is reminiscence of Isaiah 53. The story of a consenting sacrifice. This is the scandal of the cross. The one who is immortal in nature, who should not die, who is eternal, comes to die. God on feet put it in this way. He revealed that God is love. He, sorry, Jesus revealed that God is love. That his love expresses itself in self-sacrifice, cruel humiliating death on the cross. Let's remember that the cross was one of the worst way to die at this time. It was like a curse reserved to criminals. And Jesus was humbled in so many ways from birth to death, birthed in a stable, him, the king of kings, and dying on a cross, which is the worst kind of death the death of a criminal but then oh what a triumph it does not end with the cross it triumphed of a sin death and disease and every principalities and power everything is under um, his feet like Ephesians 1 is telling us he has everything under his feet that God has exalted him above all all earth and heaven should recognize that he's sovereign and everyone will confess that Jesus is the Lord. He, you know, he, he is the son of God. He humbled himself as a servant. But now he is exalted and he has this special place. Everything is under heaven. He rules. He rules. He has been exalted. Wow. Christ's humility. So now. As the church, we have the mission to expand the kingdom of God in communion with Jesus. We are called to imitate Christ's humility. What does that mean? It means this. Yes, we were sinners and we were separated from God and we were condemned. But we have gloriously been adopted in this royal family. We are now saint. We are loved by grace. We have a divine inheritance. We are called to rule. Actually, um, one of the amazing thing in Philippians is this phrase, we are citizens of heaven. It comes back, it comes back time and time again. We are citizens of heaven. But guess what? We are momentarily on earth. We're still on earth. And we are his son and daughter living momentarily on earth. And what's happening like Jesus? We humble ourselves, we are servant, and we have this mission. The mission is to serve the glorious mission to make disciples and get Jesus' bride ready for Jesus' return, to make us and others uh, ready for Jesus' return. So our purpose is to reconcile people to the fathers by demonstrating his love and the love we have for each other. This takes humility. This takes God's love in us, 
through us. This takes sacrifices. But like Jesus, one day we will be rewarded. One day we will be exalted. We will rule by his side forever. There won't be any more pain and suffering. Suffering. We will be there exalted forever. So we are called to be one. And we can only be one if we know what humility is and if we could take if we take on the servanthood that Christ has demonstrated. So let me finish here. As I'm going to close down the presentation, I just want you to think a little bit. Just close your eyes, maybe, or respond the way you want to respond. Think about areas in your life. You know, have you given it all to Jesus? Is there an area in your life where, yeah, I do that for myself. I want that so badly. There's a little bit of selfish pursuit there. I know it's not completely for the glory of God. I'll tell you what, sometimes we pursue the good thing for ourselves. We can, you can pursue ministry with selfish ambition. So am I utterly dependent, trusting on God? That's the question. Am I doing everything completely dependent on God? And secondly, let's reflect a little bit. How can we love each other? serve others' interest before other, our interest better? How can we do that? How can we serve other? How can we serve the people around us like Christ has served us?